Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next guest is Ken Coleman, best-selling author of From Paycheck to Purpose, and he's the radio host of the nationally syndicated Ken Coleman Show. As America's career coach, he helps callers discover what they do best so that they can produce the results that matter most to them. Ken, thanks so much for joining me on Takeaways. So thrilled to be with you, Kirk. Thanks so much for having me. So, Ken, you coach people all over the nation and all over the world on how to find their career path. How did you find yours? Well, you know, it was a a bit of a confusing path for me for a guy who pretty early on at the age of 16 felt like I knew what God wanted me to do. I was sitting in the chapel of a Christian school that I was blessed to go to and felt very clearly that God was leading me towards a path in public service in the area of politics. So, you know, you're 16 and uh, of course, you know, we, we don't know much when we're 16 and I think that's sometimes a real gift because we really listen to our hearts at that stage. And I was really convinced that that was the direction God had for me and so I went on that path, left college early, and uh, found myself working on campaigns at the age of 19. And uh, then at 21, worked on a gubernatorial race in Virginia and we won and I got a job wearing suits all of a sudden and and, and dealing with bureaucrats in the state capital of Virginia. And I rotted pretty quickly, about six months of, of bureaucrat business versus the campaign style, which is a 20 hour a day, fighting for ideals. And as a young guy, I realized this is not the right environment in politics. And so it began to make me question the big picture. And I realized, okay, if if God wants me to run for office, I need to go get a real job and begin to develop a real resume of leadership. And business is probably the place to do that. And so I set out on that path. Fast forward to the age of about 32 and beginning to become so disenchanted with the political system and beginning to seriously question my ability to bring change and influence. So I I began to say, okay, I was on this path this whole time. How did I miss it? What did I miss? And that became very confusing for me and very scary for me. And then I realized that I needed to figure out what is the path? If it's not politics, what is it? And I began to look into the clues, some of the commonalities, And through a series of gut-wrenching months of self-examination, dealing with self-doubt, realized that broadcasting was another lane that allowed me to use the talents that God gave me to perform the passion that God put on my heart and to accomplish the mission that God put on my heart as well. And so the problem with that was, Kirk, is when you're 32 and you're trying to get into broadcasting, which is a very competitive industry, I didn't have the degree in it, had no experience, and at the time didn't have very many friends It was terribly intimidating. Paul says it, without faith, it is impossible to please God, that God was looking out for me to step out, and then he steps in. And so through that journey, it began the path of sports broadcasting, which led to the space I'm in now to broadcast, to help people discover their unique contribution that their creator created for them to 
give back to the world through the world of work. And so that's kind of the quickest mm. version I can give as to how I dealt with my own crisis and got clarity mm-hmm. and understood that God gives us the clues to discover what we are created to do. All he's waiting for us to do is to discover them and then to step out. And when we step out, then he steps in and does things that only he can do. And that's when he gets the credit and thus the glory. But I think so many people miss that. They're just waiting for him to uh, give them the path. Ken, how did you make your way to Ramsey Solutions and, and, and do the work that you're doing with Dave Ramsey? And, and talk about that work and what you're doing there. Yeah, again, God's hand in favor. Um, when I uh, was in that business world, I was working for a guy by the name of John Maxwell, a well-known leadership author, former pastor. And I was working for John and I met Dave and it was in this season of me saying, okay, how can I begin to get some broadcasting experience? How can I get on a mic, get behind it, get in front of a camera rather, and begin to get some cuts at the plate, get some experience. And I worked for John, and John had this great leadership organization called Catalyst. It was the leading leadership event in the Christian space at that time. And I came to those guys and said, hey guys, I think we should start a podcast. Now, Kirk, this is 10 years ago when podcasts weren't like a thing. People looked at you funny when you said podcast because we literally had iPods back then. And so they said, you know what, Ken, we know you, we know you're not crazy. Well, let's try this. And so we got out in front, we began an interview show, and I was interviewing leaders from the world of the church world and the world of faith. And one of those guys that I got to interview was Dave Ramsey. And uh, he was impressed, apparently, and stayed in touch with me. I had the opportunity to interview him three or four more times. And if we fast forward from that season, uh, in 2014, he asked me to join the team here to take over uh, several of the you know, broadcasting channels and properties that they had. And I said, absolutely. And that was God swinging a door wide open. And I said, yes. And I just walked through it. You have a call-in program where you're helping people figure out what they do best and uh, produce the results that matter the most to them. What's the number one complaint that you hear from callers about their jobs? Well, I think the number one complaint is, is that I don't experience any meaning or fulfillment. You know, there is something in the human spirit, whether you believe there's a creator and a God or not, where we long to make a difference in the lives of others. You know, some of the most confused callers I have on the show, Kirk, they'll call and say, Ken, I need help. I have no idea what I want to do with my life, right? Or in other words, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. We've all heard that, right? And, and, and I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what, what, are you sure you have no ideas at all? Come on, there's got to be something you want to do. And inevitably, they all say this. I can I, I I don't know, but I just know I want to help people. And I'll usually kind of be a smart aleck and say, well, welcome to the human race. Because we all want to help people. So what we begin to do is we begin to look at why aren't you experiencing meaning in your work? And the answer comes down to what we write about and what I teach on the show, which is that there is talent that everyone has. That's what you do best hard skills and people skills. There is passion, which we use the word passion to describe love of a type of work, whether it be working with wood or working with numbers or working with graphics or design or working with people. Uh, We all have work that fires us up when we think about it. And then when we engage in it, we lose track of time. And then the third element is a sense of mission. And mission speaks to the results we want to produce. So when you look at talent, passion, and mission, Kirk, we help people understand that there is an actual formula. And if you are in alignment in the workplace, and here's what it looks like. This is what alignment is. I use what I do best, talent. 
to do work I love passion, to produce results that matter to me mission. This is purpose. This is purpose at work. And this is where the creator designed you to be. Now that could be multiple jobs and multiple career paths. So it's not one thing, but to really understand that it enlightens people and they begin to see, oh, okay, now I can see who I'm supposed to be and now where I can do that, be that in the workplace. So that's genuinely uh, the biggest thing that people need help with is some sense of confirmation of is this idea right, Ken? Am I being delusional? I'm dealing with some fear and doubt. It helped me with that. And so it's always around that alignment um, because you know the weapons that the enemy uses to distract us from purpose is fear, doubt, and pride. And so we attack that, if you will, uh, every day in some form or fashion. How has the workplace changed since the pandemic? It's changed most fundamentally in the rhythm and then in the location that we do work. So obviously when the pandemic first hit, let's just kind of rewind back to, let's call it March, April of 2020, and everybody went home for a season. It was like everybody. It was just like, whoa, we don't know what's going on. How scary is this? And so everybody went home. And then depending on what state you live in and the political persuasion of your governor, things changed a little bit. Like here in Tennessee, we were back to work really quick. And, and the reality is, is that what, what didn't change though was that a lot of companies had to adapt for a season for remote work. So systems changed, requirements changed. And so that's the biggest shift is that we were already seeing a shift towards remote work, but that got absolutely put on hyperspeed. And we've seen a lot more people now say, you know what, I don't wanna go back to the office ever. So that's one shift is the rhythm and the location. But the other big shift, Kirk, is that people begin to realize that life is really, really short. No matter what you thought about COVID-19, the fact of the matter is you're a human being. And we know from so much data and studies about the way the brain works that when you get an onslaught of information, you can't help but be affected by that. William James, who's I think widely recognized as the, moder of, uh, the father of modern psychology, once famously said, no matter how absurd something is, if it is repeated often enough, people will believe it. And it's absolutely true. That's our own self-thinking. It's the thinking or, or the, or the uh, dictators have used this throughout history. But we saw every day on the ticker when we turned on the news, this many people dying, this many people sick and in danger of dying. And so I think we saw an unbelievable confrontation with mortality. I think people looked at themselves and looked at their lives and they said, what am I doing with my life? Life is very, very precious. And I think it forced us to focus on, am I spending what amounts to, for the, the average American worker, 90,000 plus hours at work? Am I spending that on purpose? So I think those were the two shifts. How do I work? And then what am I doing with work? In other words, what am I getting out of my work? There's got to mm -hmm. be more than right. a paycheck. Ken, I, I think it's so interesting when I go to the store, I see uh, help wanted signs all over the place. Mm -hmm. at, at this time, just sort of after we're sort of coming out of a lot of these lockdowns and shutdowns and schools and businesses and churches being closed, people are changing jobs. I think like 55% of people uh, recently polled uh, want to quit their job, want to change their job. And this leaves employers, people who are trying to start their businesses or maintain um, their own business without people to work for them. What are some of the things that employers can do 
to be better bosses to encourage people to come back to work? I'm really glad you asked this question. This is an engagement issue, and engagement has always been the primary job of a leader. I don't care if it's a small business of five or a global corporation of 50,000 employees. Engagement, which leads to retention, is always the primary strategy of a leader. And so what has changed is that people are now leveling up. They're getting a higher salary or they're getting a bigger paycheck. And they're beginning to experience, wait a second, the grass isn't greener because the, the, the idea of being promoted or wanted wears off and then the, the paycheck wears off and you're left with, wait a second, it's really not that different. And so there's this big competition. It's musical chairs right now. It's a, a bit of an arms race. So leaders have to understand what the new worker is looking for. And I don't think it's much different, Kirk, than the old worker. And it's this, they don't want a better job. They want a better life. And I'm going to give leaders three tactical things that are very simple that will help you keep people. And it boils down to this. Number one, people want meaning in their work. They want to see purpose in their work. Do you have them on the right seat of the bus where they're using that methodology I shared earlier? Are they spending 75% of their day using what they do best? Talent to do work they love, passion, to produce results that matter to their mission. If not, they're not in the right seat on the bus. That's the first thing. They want to see purpose. Hey, I'm a fit for this. I was created to do this work. Second thing that people want, um, they want to be recognized for their unique contribution. We can't forget, Kirk, that we are all as adults, still little boys and little girls who still have that core psycholo uh, psychological need to be seen. Do I matter? And so they need to hear from their leader. They need to be recognized. Hey, Kirk, you're doing a really great job. I've noticed this. I've noticed this. And as a result, this is happening. They need that specific contribution to be pointed out privately, one-on-one, -on -one, and publicly in front of their peers. And the third thing that leaders need to be doing is they need to be developing a real relationship with the people they lead. I don't mean the positional leadership relationship. I'm the boss. I mean, they need to feel like you're their coach or mentor. A coach or mentor relationship is what people are saying in the largest uh, employee engagement study that Gallup's ever done. They want a relationship with their leader, and this is key. So those three things, uh, notice, Kirk, the thread in all three of those things. It's all emotional. It's all personal. All three of those things. Very personal, very emotional. And that's the key to leadership. Now, here's what happens. When you do those three things... What happens is people will stay with you longer and they will become a recruiting tool for you. So I'd, I'd sum all, up, all of that up to this one phrase. If you take care of the people you have, you'll get the people you need. So you ask me, how do you avoid the great resignation in your own business? Let me tell you something. Engagement. People will leave you less and they will recruit for you more if you take care of them. Your recruitment strategy and your retention strategy are the same thing. You take care of the people you have, you'll get the people you need. We've made leadership too complex. And let me tell you something. Leadership is servanthood. That's it. Period. If you serve people, you love people, you care for people, you reward people, they're going to stay with you. And so back to what I said earlier, they, want, they don't want a better job. They want a better life. This is great stuff. And it sounds like it is a perfect time for employers and employees to reevaluate where they stand. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to determine what career is right for you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Ken Coleman talking about how you could discover what kind of work you were meant to do. Ken's laid out a strategy to find your dream job in his book, From Paycheck to Purpose. Ken, how did you come up with the idea for this book and what do you hope to accomplish with it? Yeah, you know, I I was looking for a way to show people a transformational path. You know, whether it's in weight loss or in marriage or in parenting, you need a path forward. People will not choose to change if they cannot see steps to take. It just becomes debilitating and the fear is too much. So, and as I begin to give advice to people on how to not only discover the work you were created to do, but how do you get there and do it well? I began to just really map it out. So we came up with seven stages. And the first thing is that these are all very simple. Number one, you got to get clear. Like, who am I? What is my unique makeup? Because mm. I was designed by the, by the creator of the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, and me. And what's my unique makeup? It's very, very different. And so we got to get clear. That's stage one. Once we're clear, stage two is get qualified. That's the ticket to the dance. Stage three is get connected. While I'm getting qualified in stage two, I ought to be in stage three, getting connected. Relationships are everything. They are the advancement juice. You know, it's like, if you want to know how you get somewhere, it's going to be through relationships. This idea of kicking doors over has been romanticized by Hollywood and motivational posters, but it's a bunch of garbage. Most of the time, the doors open for you through relationships. So that's stage three, get connected. That gives us the opportunities. Stage four means I got to step through the door. Stage five is once I'm in, stage five, now I'm focused on climbing the ladder. That's get promoted. Stage six is eventually I will get promoted. I'll climb into that dream job. But are we done? Are we done there? Is it now a life of sitting in the backyard in the hammock with a glass of sun tea? No. Once I'm in that dream job, now I'm at the top of the mountain, but my view changes. I've been looking up the whole time as I climb, but now I'm on top of the mountain and now I'm looking out and my view expands. And so now we're talking, I'm working not for a paycheck anymore, but for legacy, to leave a mark. And so those are the seven stages. And so I wrote that because I wanted people to see that, yes, it is difficult to climb the mountain. There's no question about that, but it is possible. And just like climbing Mount Everest, there's a strategy. You're going to encounter the storms of life. You're going to see the plan kind of change. The plans fail. You can still see the summit and you can still get there, but you got to have a path. You got to have a procedure. And so I felt like writing the book that I had never seen written before, honestly, a, a very practical, not just motivational gibberish, but a practical path to be who God created you to be. And I'm going to tell you something. I just don't believe that you can separate your relational purpose and your professional purpose. Because I know that if your personal life is a dumpster fire, it's going to affect you at work. And if your professional life is a dumpster fire, you're dragging that crap home with you. And so, you know, you want to be on purpose as a spouse. You want to be on purpose as a parent. Then it involves being on purpose as a professional and vice versa. 
So Ken, what do you say to the person who says, I, I'm miserable in my job, I feel like I'm just a number, I'm just one little cog in the great big machine, I want a job change, I want significance. What are they gonna find is perhaps the biggest hurdle to shifting to a new profession? Fear, doubt, and pride. A couple of the biggies in each of those categories because they're different. A lot of people think fear and doubt are the same thing. They're not. They're ugly cousins and they love to hang out together. <laughs> but some of the big fears are the fear of the unknown. I think it's the greatest fear we as human beings face, the fear of the unknown. I'll give you a practical example. If you've ever been driving along in your car and an unbelievable rainstorm happens upon you or if you've ever driven into, into dense fog, it's terrifying. You don't speed up. You pull over. You can't see past the hood of your car. It's terrifying. You've ever been in a cave and you can't see your hand in front of your face. That is debilitating fear, fear of the unknown. The other one is fear of failure. Fear of failure. The idea of how bad is it going to sting? How bad is it going to hurt? Another big fear is what I call fear of peers. And we can lump family into this. My goodness, we're so afraid of disapproval. And I understand that. But those three fears hold so many people back. We'll flip it. Doubt, uh, again, is the cousin. So fear is I'm afraid of something happening. I'm afraid of this thing. I visualize it. I'm afraid that this bad thing will happen. Doubt is I don't think something can happen. Okay? And so doubt, well, if I start this side business, I'll never get it to a point where I can leave my dead-end job. Or if I go to get qualified for this, I don't have the chops to pass the, qualifi the qualification process. That's doubt. And so the doubt that I'm good enough, the doubt that I don't have enough time, the doubt that I don't have enough money, those are some big doubts. And then pride uh, is another interesting, sinister little cousin of these two. And pride presents itself in the fact of, I don't want anybody to see me fail. I, what will people think? And I dealt with this one. Uh, successful business guy headed towards politics. And I'm going to tell everybody I know that I'm 32 and I've got a revelation that I want to go into broadcasting. I was terrified of telling people that, Kirk, because I thought people are going to think, you're delusional, Coleman. you got bad pizza, man. Let it get through your system and you're going to be okay. And, and pride rears its ugly head like that. Pride also holds us back by saying, don't ask for help. No one wants to help you. Don't be that needy person who asks somebody for help. So th that's kind of a quick run through of you need to be aware that these enemies are never going away. Now, I write about it extensively in the book. Uh, from Paycheck to Purpose, we tell you how to put those voices on trial, if you will, and figure out is mm -hmm. fear and doubt, is it protecting me or is it holding me back? Uh, but you need to know that while you can overcome those enemies, Kirk, you will never replace them. Uh, it is Pollyanna thinking. And so I just want to, uh, uh, anybody that's young or looking at a pivot, I want to tell you, fear, doubt, and pride never go away, but you can't overcome them. And when you step through those voices, here's what's so great. On the other side of that, each time you overcome fear, doubt, and pride, you are strengthened for the next time you confront them, and you can keep beating those nasty little boogers back. Ken, I also love how you talk about the big difference between networking and connecting, about yeah. uh, a, a cheap transactional sucking value off other people, which nobody <laughs> really wants to be that guy, but sometimes you feel like it's a necessary evil, versus connecting, mm -hmm. where you're around the right kind of people and the right kind of opportunities just present themselves. The difference between connecting and networking is very simple. Um, in connecting, I am always with a posture. I'm presenting myself as, 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 a, as a person who wants to learn, not a person who wants to get. There's a big difference. 
See, if I'm a human sponge, that's attractive. People find that attractive. You know, I, I'm not here for Kirk to connect me or hook me up with an opportunity. I'm hanging around Kurt, and while I'm hanging around, I'm asking him questions, man. I'm asking him about the craft. I'm asking him about what the hard parts of the day are. What do you love most about it? What are the big challenges? What advice would you give somebody like me? So when we connect, we want to take on the posture of the sponge or just be a student. You know, be a student and ask for knowledge, ask for wisdom. And here's what I found, Kurt, you won't have to ask for a connection. They'll willingly connect you. If I lead with I'm asking for knowledge and I'm asking for wisdom, by the way, those are two different things. Knowledge is give me some tactical facts. Wisdom is I'm presenting a situation and I'd like your take on what you think would be a wise choice. Wisdom and knowledge, seek them with everything you have, with people that matter. And here's what you're going to find. You are very attractive to them because they want to pour into people. Successful people with a good heart, this is what I found. They're always saying, come on in, the water's nice. They're not going to be jerks. And uh, you just got to have the courage to act like a student. And, and what you'll find is they will open up doors for you many times when you don't even ask. And when you do ask, you're asking after you have already added value to them. Watch this. By making them feel valuable. You know, I, I got to mention this real quick, Kurt, because I get this from a lot of young people, 20-something. So if I meet them out on the road or they're calling the show, they go, Ken, I understand what you talk about. You talk about the proximity principle and connecting, blah, 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 blah. But I don't have anything to offer. And I always go, yes, you do. Because I don't care how famous, how powerful, how rich somebody is. The way to make them feel valuable is to show them that they have value to you. And all of a sudden they go, hey, this kid wants to learn from me. And don't we all love to share our advice? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a pretty easy way to get in with somebody. Hey, I'd like your take on this. Everybody kind of wants to give their advice. It's, it's kind of the greatest compliment. This is fascinating. I can't wait for people to, to get your book. People who are looking to find their right job, people who are looking to make a job change, uh, bring meaning and significance into their work, um, and I know it's gonna help them. Thanks for sharing all of this with us. I'm, I'm sure so many people are gonna be reevaluating their work, taking these steps to get where they were meant to be. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please, Follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.